This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. Hey, TGC podcast listeners. Today's episode features a keynote message from TGC's 2023 conference. You can also access more TGC 23 conference media and micro event sessions in the meantime, right after this episode. Simply visit tgc23.org slash watch or click the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition Podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, you'll hear a keynote message from John Piper, originally given at TGC's 2023 conference. 400 years before the events of the book of Exodus, God said to Abram, Know for certain, this is Genesis 15, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, slaves actually. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. To your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to which this cricket responds to that lion, (laughs) you're God. You're going to give them the land. Give them the land now. Not after 400 years of affliction. To which the lion, God, who has... 10,000 reasons for doing everything he does, of which this cricket knows 0.0001% this. They will come back here in the fourth generation because cricket the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So yes, I will bring my people back from Egypt. I will drive out the nations. 
I will give my people this land and I will do it in a way that shows it's not because of their righteousness, as if they deserve anything good from me, which they don't. And I will do it in a way that shows that my judgments are just. So, you see my dear little Piper Cricket, who don't know anything, I'm zealous for the justice of my punishments. I'm zealous for the freedom of my mercy. And when I destroy, it's because wickedness is full. And when I bless, it is because though stubbornness abounds, my mercy is free. So don't begrudge me, cricket. Don't begrudge me a few hundred years to teach these things. They are not easily learned. So, for the next five centuries, God shows that he's God, that the nations are wicked, that his people are rebellious and stubborn, and that his covenant blessings are totally free and undeserved. Now, as the book of Exodus begins, At the end of those 400 years, God is about to do something astonishing. Here's what it says in Exodus 1, 7. The people of Israel multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Then, in the midst of a government-sponsored infanticide of all the Hebrew baby boys, God, in a jaw-dropping way, which so often happens in the Old Testament, saves one of these boys... He's floating in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter, the daughter of the man who commissioned all the boys to be killed, instead of killing this little floating Moses, pities him. And then she goes and looks for a nurse and chooses one who just happens to be his mother. Oh, God is good. And then she brings him up under the nose of Pharaoh, whose court Moses will bring down. This is just a great story. This is a great story. Of course, between that moment and the catastrophic destruction of Egypt, 80 years happens. Which together with the 400 years teaches us God is not in a hurry. 
He has his reasons for his deeds, and he has his reasons for his pace in your life tonight. And you're very perplexed about the pace of your life and the deeds of God in your life. And I just want you to be encouraged. God's not in a hurry, and he knows exactly what he's doing, both the deeds and the pace. So 80 years later, there's a burning bush, and it's not consumed. And there's a snake, a rod. Yeah, it's a rod first. And then it's a snake. And then it's back into a rod. And there's a hand. It's leprous, and it's not leprous anymore. And then there's a cup of water, if you need it, to dip into the Nile and pour it out in front of Pharaoh, it'll turn to blood. So now go and deliver my people in that sovereign power. And eventually, the reluctant prophet goes. And by his hand, he brings out the people after 10 wonderful, horrible plagues. All of it according to God's inviolable plan. And we know it's according to God's plan that all 10 plagues happen because before any of them happened, God said this to Moses in chapter 3, verse 19, and in chapter 7, verse 3. I know, Moses, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He says that before anything has happened. He hasn't even gone to Pharaoh yet. That's why I'm talking plan here. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. That's the plan. Then I will bring my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. And in the midst of those great acts of judgment, God states his purpose, his ultimate purpose, I would say, in everything. Well, let's just say Exodus, his ultimate purpose. Chapter 9, verse 16, God says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's Exodus 9:16. That's the purpose of God in the Exodus and in the world today. Show his power, make his name known to the nations. That's God's purpose. 
Which brings me now to my text. This has been introduction so far. Let me say it again. Verse 14 of chapter 14. I will get glory over Pharaoh, God says, and the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh. They'll know that I am Yahweh. That's what I'm doing here. I'm showing them that I am Yahweh. Okay, if you have a Bible and you can see it in the dark, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Your phone lights up. So go there to your Bible app. Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 13 to 15. Up until now, the point of this message has been from the first prediction of the bondage of his people in Genesis 15, 13, to the actual deliverance in Exodus 14, God, from first to last, has been showing his sovereign justice in his punishments and his sovereign freedom in his covenant blessings, his mercies. His judgments are just, his mercies are free. And now he says in 916, for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, Pharaoh, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Or to use the words of chapter 14 again, I will be glorified. I will be glorified over Pharaoh. The Egyptians shall know I am Yahweh. So the question is, what does Yahweh mean? If, you, if, 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 if his purpose tonight, which it is, is to declare across this room and to everybody watching online, I'm Yahweh. You need to know that. What, what would that mean? This is the most important text in the Bible in defining God's personal name. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Now, many of you know that every time you see in the Old Testament in English, in most translations, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all caps, that's translating his personal name, Yahweh. And if it doesn't have all caps, it's probably translating Adonai or some other designation of God. 6,800 times plus, God identifies himself with Yahweh in the Old Testament. That's my name. My name is Yahweh. <laughs> Dear old Ezekiel, 
He's off the charts. 72 times, he says, that they may know it's me, Yahweh, who did it. I, Yahweh, did it. I am Yahweh. Ezekiel just cannot say it enough. So we need to know <laughs> what does that mean? Why do you keep saying that? Let's read the text. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? What you shall say to them is, what shall I say to them? Sorry. What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Yahweh. Thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I guess, right? 6,800 times. Remember me. It's my name. I am Yahweh. I want the nations to know I'm Yahweh. I want Pharaoh to know I'm Yahweh. So what does that mean? And this text is designed for the rest of eternity and for the rest of the Bible to put meaning on that name, Yahweh, or L-O-R-D, all caps. Three steps in this text move us to the meaning of the name. Let's take these steps one at a time. I'll, I'll show them to you. It's really easy to see. You don't even need Hebrew. Step number one, the first half of verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now that's not his name yet. In effect, he was saying, look, before I tell you my name and before you get all worked up about where I line up in the names of the gods of Egypt or Babylon or Philistia, before you wonder about how to conjure me with my name, before you wonder whether I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in my name, I want you to know, get my being before you get my name. I am who I am. You're dealing with absolute being here, Moses. I simply am. I am. Step one, clarifying the God he's dealing with. Step two, second half of verse 14. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. That's still not his name. That's not his name yet. 
the, the phrase I am is building a bridge between I am who I am and Yahweh. That's the function of this I am in the middle. I am has sent me to you. The one who is has sent me to you. The one who absolutely is has sent me to you. Now, step three, the name. Verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, all caps, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. So, in those three steps, God has finally given us his name. Yahweh. We don't really know how it was pronounced. The Jews were very reluctant to say that name, as you know. They, in pronouncing it, they would almost always say Adonai. It's a generic word for Lord rather than the very sacred and personal name of God, Yahweh. So we're, we're guessing Yahweh or the short form that you know very well, all of you, Yah. Hallelujah. I, I hope from this day to the end of your life, you never say that phrase again without thinking, I'm praising Yah. His personal name. Now, I'm not praising just generic God. Hallelujah. That would set him over against Baal and Nebo and Moloch. Any other God you want to name? He's Yah. Hallelujah. It will also affect the way you use the phrase hallelujah because it doesn't make sense to use it in some context once you know what it means. So, it's a personal name like James or John or Peter. Just let that sink in. This is a name like James. John, I am, I am who I am. Yahweh is a noun built on the verb I am. You can't mistake the purpose of God in Exodus with regard to this name. Chapter 7, verse 5, that the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. Chapter 7, verse 17, by this you will know that I am Yahweh. Chapter 8, verse 22, that you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. Chapter 10, verse 2, that you may know that I am Yahweh. Chapter 14, verse 4, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. (laughs) Duh, we get it. That's... That's the purpose of the book, the Bible, history, the universe. 
I'm Yahweh. Now, if I, if I said 25 times in this message, I'm John, that you may know that I'm John, that you may know that I'm John, that Indianapolis would know that I'm John, that would have no meaning. It would have no meaning because John doesn't have any meaning. You say, what's that? But what if I said, my name is John Power. And I want you to know that I am power. I want this city to know I'm power. I want you all to know in the depths of your being, I am power. You'd get it. You'd get it. This is not just a name. Yeah, you, John, that's what you sign say, John Power. But when you say that, we get it. That's the way you should think about Yahweh. I am. I am who I am. I want you to know this. My name has a meaning. Say to the people, I am sent me to you. Say to the people, Yahweh sent me to you. Because Yahweh means I am. I am who I am. I am absolute being. So, what does that mean? Can you fill that out? So that when you hear L-O-R-D, all caps, 6,000 times in the Old Testament, your heart sings with who he is at its root meaning. I am absolutely. What does that mean? So I'm going to tell you 12 things it means. And I want you to soar with me. There are few things I love to do more than think about God's being. That God is, <laughs> is glorious. I mean, it is staggering to think about God is. So let's do this. 12 meanings of I am who I am. So that when you hear Yahweh, hear Lord, it's not generic anymore. Number one, I am who I am means he never had a beginning. This staggers the mind. Every little child asks mommy or daddy, who made God? That's a very good question. Every child should ask that. If they're not asking that, they're not thinking. Who made God? And a wise mommy or daddy says, Johnny, nobody made God. He never had a beginning. And you pray they never lose that. Never lose it. Number two, I am who I am means God will never end. 
He didn't come into being. He cannot go out of being because he is being. There isn't any place to go outside being. There's only he. Before he creates all that is outside God, there's only God. Number three. I am who I am means God is absolute reality. There's no reality before him. There's no reality outside of him unless he wills it, sustains it. He's not one of many realities before he creates. He's absolute Reality. He is all there was eternally. There was no space. There was no universe. There was no emptiness. There was only God. Number four. I am who I am means that God is utterly independent. He depends on nothing to bring him into being. He depends on nothing to support him, counsel him, make him what he is. Number five, I am who I am means rather everything that is not God depends totally on God. All that is not God is secondary. I love to think about this. All that is not God is dependent and secondary. The entire universe is utterly secondary. <laughs> All the galaxies that the James Webb telescope are showing us pictures, they're secondary. They're a footnote. Seriously, God is primary reality. Everything is secondary to God. Number six, I am who I am means all the universe is by comparison to God as nothing. Contingent, dependent reality is to absolute independent reality as a shadow to substance, as an echo to thunderclap, as a bubble to the ocean. All that we see, all that we're amazed at in the world and in the galaxies compared to God is as nothing. Here's Isaiah 40 verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Number seven, I am who I am means God is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot be improved. He is not becoming anything. He is who he is. 
There's no development in God. There's no progress in God. Absolute perfection cannot be improved. Number eight, I am who I am means that he is the absolute standard, therefore, for all that is true, all that is good, and all that is beautiful. He's the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. There's no law book for God to consult when he's trying to figure out what's right. There's no almanac for him to consult to establish facts. There's no guild surrounding him to determine an excellent performance or not. He himself is the standard of what is right and what is true and what is beautiful. Number nine, I am who I am means God does whatever he pleases. There are no constraints on God from outside him that could hinder him in doing anything he pleased. All reality that is outside of him, he created. He designed, he governs. So he's utterly free. He's utterly free from any constraint. Anything outside of him that would impinge upon him has flowed from the counsel of his will. And he knows it and he plans it. Number 10. I am who I am means that he is the most important, most valuable person in the universe. He is more worthy of interest, more worthy of your attention, more worthy of your admiration, more worthy of your enjoyment than all other realities, including the entire universe. Number 11, I am who I am. God's absolute being means Jesus Christ is absolute being. And I am who I am. Here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8, 56. Your father rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And they responded, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, he could have said, before Abraham was, I was. And that would have been true. That's not what he said. He chose to say it this way so we'd get it. Before Abraham was, I am who I am, Yahweh in the flesh.
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Number 12, lastly, I am who I am, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John 1.14. Absolute being united with human being in such a way that we can say when Jesus died, God purchased us by his God's blood. It is an electrifying truth that God is. <laughs> it is explosive. It is wild. It is untamable. And it changes everything. <laughs> if, if you could be captured by, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. I am has come. If you could be captured by this, your life would be thrilling. Your life would be a thrilling life. To be in touch with this reality. That this God, this Yahweh, this absolute I am who I am, came to us in a human being, Jesus Christ, made a second exodus out of the bondage of condemnation into the promised land of God's happiness. The Gospel Coalition has a good name, Gospel Coalition, because that's really good news. It is staggeringly good news. It is inexpressibly great good news, that the I am who I am, the absolute being, clothed himself with human being in order to die, to make an exodus out of condemnation into the happiness of God is worth living your life for in every way you can possibly live it. Lord, make us a God besotted people. Grant, O oh God, that we would see the great I am. That we would love you and treasure you and honor you and magnify you and make you known, make you known as Yahweh among the nations as Yahweh in our families, as Yahweh in the neighborhoods, in our churches, that we would make you known as Yahweh. I am who I am, Jesus Christ, Savior, friend. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.